0: Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. BirdwatchersGeneralStore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. September means back to school and back to binoculars as we watch for the start of the fall migration. We hope you'll continue your schooling by coming for a free walk with us. Ocean State Bird Club is on Facebook and at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. That's www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. Ocean State Bird Club.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show number 747 Last week we started off the show with a widely publicized story about scientists saying that we've lost 3 billion birds in North America since 1970. Major suspected causes described included habitat loss, building and tower collisions, cat predation, and insecticides. Well, now a study from the University of Saskatchewan Toxicology Center is placing a major focus on a particular form of that last item on the list, saying that there is a, quote, clear link between neonicotinoid exposure at real-world levels and an impact on birds. In quote. Neonics, as they're often called, are now the world's most widely used insecticide. And the study suggests that a migrating songbird that ate the equivalent of one or two seeds treated with a neonicotinoid insecticide suffered immediate weight loss, forcing it to delay its journey. The delay is believed to severely harm the bird's chances of surviving and reproducing. Since spring bird migration occurs when farmers are planting and most crops in the U.S. and Canada are grown with neonic-treated seeds, birds can suffer repeated exposure at successive stopover sites where they rest and feed. Neonics were introduced in the late 80s and were supposed to be a safer alternative to previous kinds of insecticides. But study after study is finding that they play a key role in insect decline, especially bees. The EU banned the use of those chemicals in 2018 because they were killing pollinators. This study is another link in the chain of environmental problems, one showing that the use of neonics is harming birds and that bird populations are at risk as a result. That's the sound of our mystery bird. Preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later on uh, in this morning's show. Some clues as to the identity of our bird. It's another of those irregular winter visitors from the far north, mostly reaching states and provinces along the U.S.-Canada border, ranging a bit farther southward in the west, It's a brownish-gray bird with a crest on top of its head in a black mask and chin patch. It has small red spots on its secondary feather tips and the cinnamon color under its yellow-tipped tail and its grayish belly separated from a more common close relative. Our bird feeds on berries and fruits, sometimes becoming intoxicated, even dying from eating fermented berries. It has no true song, but it makes that sound we just heard... There it is again. Beautiful prizes this morning include the Droll Yankees Double Suet Feeder with a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage, plus a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app that makes learning bird sounds a game and a big bag of delicious bird-friendly shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Those are the prizes on our upcoming mystery bird contest. Extra, extra,
1: Rito!
2: Some of the stories and videos right now on our beautiful brandy new talkin'birds.com website and on our Facebook page. On Facebook, the Alala, Hawaiian crow, is extinct in the wild, but there's some good news about an effort to restore the species to its native habitat. We'll take you to the story. And are you in Indiana? planning to visit? Well, either way, surprising birds are said to be visiting the state. We'll link you to the Indy Star story. And on our TalkinBirds.com website, another story about widespread pesticide use that's causing weight loss and delayed migration in songbirds. This one from National Audubon. You can find it right there at TalkinBirds.com. Some of the things on our Facebook page and at TalkinBirds.com right now. Meanwhile, thank you, thank you to two great new talking Birds ambassadors, listeners who have become ambassadors and helping to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. Thank you to Alana Peterson from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Alana. And thank you to John Colbert from Oakland, California. By the way, uh, John's partner, Erica, started the first West Coast Birds and Beans Coffee Club with Golden Gate Audubon. That's pretty cool. And she only also, not long ago, made an appearance on ABC7 in San Francisco, uh, helping out in a special effort to protect cliff swallows out that way in the Bay Area. We'll get that up on our Facebook page or website uh, very soon if we haven't done it already. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Ambassadors family along with Alana and John by allowing us to send you some of our little info cards for you to hand out. At your convenience, to friends and neighbors, fellow birders and nature lovers, to join the family, just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button up at the top, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. By the way, we need just six more new ambassadors to reach our goal of 400 ambassadors uh, by the end of September. So, Talking Birds listeners, please consider stepping up and helping us to reach that goal, and thanks. Still to come on our show today, we'll hear more about the America of uh, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's amazing new film, "Bird of Prey," all about the huge, spectacular, and endangered Philippine eagle. We'll also catch up with Mike O'Connor in our "Let's Ask Mike" segment, and up next, we'll expand on let's uh, last week's mention of a shorebird with unusual nesting habits for today's featured feathered friend segment, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Today's featured feathered friend isn't really all alone, although solitary is part of its name. And that's because, unlike many other shorebirds, it doesn't migrate in big flocks. And it does something that really sets it apart from other shorebirds. It nests in trees. In fact, it's the only North American shorebird that does this. Its nesting behavior wasn't discovered until 1903, 90 years after the bird was first described. The solitary sandpiper typically uses old nests of robins, rusty blackbirds, gray jays, cedar waxwings, and kingbirds when it breeds way up in northern Canada after wintering in the Caribbean, Mexico, or South America. The solitary sandpiper is a medium-sized shorebird with a moderately long neck and legs, a medium-sized bill, and a dark olive back speckled with small white spots. Look for the solitary sandpiper frequently bobbing its head as it forages along the shores of freshwater ponds and creeks and in fields, not so much in open marshes or mudflats. Its diet consists mostly of aquatic or terrestrial invertebrates. And when it calls, it sounds like this. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Tringa Solitaria, the solitary sandpiper. Welcome again to our show, number 747. That new website, by the way, same old address, TalkingBirds.com. Hope you'll visit it. It's We think it's pretty spiffy, and we hope you'll follow us, too, on Facebook, And Twitter and Instagram at TalkinBirds. Well, in 2013, cinematographer Neil Reddig led a team to the forests of the Philippines to find and film and ultimately help save the Philippine eagle. By some measures, the world's largest eagle and most critically endangered. Dr. Laura Johnson was the expedition coordinator. The resulting film, titled Bird of Prey, has been released, and Laura and Neil are both on the phone with me right now to tell us about it. Good morning, Laura and Neil. Good morning.
3: Good morning.
2: Great to have you uh, with us. Thanks so much for taking time, and I'll start with uh, you, Neil. This was uh, your second major Philippine expedition, right? Tell us about the motivations, uh, Neil, for each of those trips.
4: Yeah, uh, I have been uh, completely hooked on raptors all my life and especially the large forest uh, eagles like uh, the harpy eagle mm-hmm. and uh, we had just come off a project uh, with harpy eagles down in Guyana and while we were laying in our hammocks during that project we'd said, we said to each other what are we going to do next <laughs> and at the time uh, it was called the Philippine monkey eating eagle and we decided that we'd go for that so we formed a non- profit organization called free limited films and research for an endangered environment in the summer of 1977 late summer of 77 we headed to the philippines with a, a crew of pretty crazy adventurous people and we ended up staying 18 months in the philippines making uh uh educational films to help save the eagle on 16 millimeter back then and then a lot of years went by, and I traveled all over the world filming birds and wildlife documentaries for National Geographic and the BBC and others. And always wanted to go back and do it again uh, and do an update on the eagle and do it in the highest definition we could, uh, we could possibly do uh, to really, really uh, inspire people.
2: You talked about how fearless you were on that first trip 30-plus years ago. A little different this time around?
4: Yeah, when I was climbing <laughs> trees the last time around, I was 64. And uh, it's a little bit harder. Now.
2: Okay. In this film, Neil, you're both cinematographer and main subject. Sounds complicated.
4: Uh, you know, it it uh, it is kind of strange in some ways to uh, uh, be on camera, too, while you're filming. But, uh, you know, it's just something that's been such a passion for me that it just, it was second nature.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
4: Laura... So,
3: and we talked about how how much uh how important it is in the film to show sort of the process of how Neil gets the footage and mm-hmm. the building the flies and the taking extreme care to not uh, do anything to to threaten the birds at all. So
2: well there's some great coverage about great coverage explaining how you did that and and great um, uh filming of of, uh, climbing those incredibly tall trees and building those uh platforms laura you're the expedition coordinator give us a thumbnail of what that involved uh well that involved
3: doing everything that anybody needed me to do at any time to make this all happen so uh I'm a veterinarian. I have no really experience in the film business other than being married to Neil, so that does give me a, a bit of experience. And um, when we first talked about this expedition, uh, we spent a lot of time trying to get uh, funding and support. Um, we were turned down by lots and lots of networks, and fortunately we were because Cornell Lab of Ornithology agreed to partner with us, and it's been a just an incredible uh, partnership and commitment from them to support the Philippine Eagle Foundation and the work in the Philippines long term so we're, we were thrilled about that um, they did ask me early on to create a budget and i would never created a film budget and Neil was gone and so he was like texting me uh, numbers from 35 years ago what things cost so I threw <laughs> together a budget and, <laughs> and uh, we were sort of terrified all the time that we would run out of money but basically um i i ran the camp i uh helped every day get the cinematographers up in the trees um i liaison with the Filipino foundation the biologists the barangay capitans all of the levels of government um i let's see took uh did a, a little daycare for the local villagers uh, and the kids every day to mm-hmm. teach them about the eagle, mm-hmm. and I also happened to be the only medical care they had wow. uh, in the community. Wow! So, yeah,
2: you did some ye- you did some yeoman work there. By the way, I, I just want to circle back, Neil. You mentioned about the bird formerly being known as the monkey eating eagle. Could you give us a quick, uh, real quick story about how you? Uh, met with president marcos at the time and ended up getting that name changed
4: yeah we uh actually we had a uh there's a, there used to be a program called american sportsmen uh narrated by kirk Gowdy many many years oh, ago. Yeah. So back in in the 70s mm-hmm. and they kind of turned focus from hunting program into a conservation program uh, in part Uh some of their episodes had to be you know deal with conservation so they they wanted to cover our work in the Philippines, and they brought basketball star Bill Walton to the Philippines. And that was one of the ways we were all able to get in and, and meet, it, meet up with uh, President Marcos and, and, and Imelda Marcos. And we were in the, uh, in the presidential office, and we stated the case that uh, the eagle doesn't really eat monkeys all that often. And, and Marcos said, well, if it's found only in the Philippines, We're going to name it the Philippine Eagle. (laughs) And that was that.
2: Wow. Now that I think of it, I think I saw Bill Walton in in that film. Am I right?
4: That's right. And actually, we got him to climb it 140 feet up into the blind with the most precarious climbing technique. We used to spike up (laughs) back then. It was incredible.
2: Wow. I, I saw him on there. I thought, boy, that guy sure looks like Bill Walton, but it couldn't be Bill Walton. But... Now now we, now, we know that it was. Uh, Neil, there's a point in the film where you're watching a successful eagle hatchling and its parents, and you're musing that it gave you the feeling that everything's okay, but you kind of bring yourself up short, uh, realizing that that's not the case, because this dense, verdant forest is only a forest fragment.
4: That's right. Uh, about 85 to 90 percent of the primary forest in the Philippines has been cut. Uh, for commercial logging operations and also uh, just the swidden slash and burn farming that eats away at uh, you know what's left of rainforest over time Mm -hmm. so what's left in the philippines is uh, you know little pockets of rainforest here and there some on mountaintops some uh, in valleys and you know often they're not even large enough to really sustain a pair of uh, philippine eagles so Mm -hmm. You know, in, in that particular nest site, in a place called Sanaka Mountain, that young eagle that's featured in the film truly did not have any place to go once he left the nest. It would be just, uh, you know, these are forest eagles, and they need rainforest uh, to, to make a living, to survive. So when he leaves that nest and has to leave that territory, because the adults uh, have that territory, he has no place to go. He'd, he'd be going out and wandering over grasslands. mm mm-hmm that's when they can get in trouble if they get really hungry they might go for a farmer's chicken and it's the same old story of prejudice against these beautiful magnificent mm-hmm. raptors
2: mm-hmm. but some success right in terms of the numbers uh, of of Philippine eagles now now extent
4: well you know back in in 77 when we first went over there i, I really truly thought you know the species might have another 20 years and, and i i'm just so uh, happy to, to, to know that they are out there and there's a, a lot of people in the Philippines, the Philippine Eagle Foundation, and worldwide that are really, really trying to fight to help save the species. Mm-hmm. And to save the species, you've got to save the forest. Everything else under that, you know, uh, under that pyramid, mm-hmm. uh, the eagle being at the top, the top-notch predator, everything down to the microbes in the soil, all the vegetation, there's a lot of rare tree species in the Philippines because of the destruction. It's all got to be saved, and I think there's initiative there, and if we can just buy the eagle more time and change attitudes with the people and the government, I think we've got a chance.
2: The film is called Bird of Prey. It's from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, directed by Eric Leiner. With sales benefiting bird conservation, it's available at Amazon and on iTunes and Vimeo On Demand. And just quickly, uh, Neil or Laura, you also had some spectacular Theater showings as you're doing around the country in the U.S., but in the Philippines, tell us really briefly about that.
3: We uh, took the finished film to the Philippines in at the end of March for the premieres in in that country, and um, it had a showing for the government, and then some big public premieres in the in Manila. But then basically handed over. film to the Philippine Eagle Foundation and they have done fantastic work bringing this film to every corner of the Philippines. Mm. We just got an email last week that they're having two, three, four packed screenings a week. Mm. Um, Thousands of people seeing this film. Mm. There's a short version that's being taken to the local communities. And they really feel like there's a huge groundswell of support, demand to see the film, mm-hmm. and uh, a change in attitude um, and awareness. So Wonderful. Really, really marvelous is why
2: we did the
4: film.
2: We've been talking with cinematographer Neil Redding and expedition coordinator Laura Johnson. Congratulations to you both on a brilliant film, and thanks for your great work. Hey, thanks hey, so thank
3: much. You so much,
2: Ray. Coming Bye-bye. up, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The North American Butterfly Association
0: is launching the Butterfly Habitat Network, a new continent-wide conservation initiative. Using decades of accumulated knowledge, NABA is scaling up efforts to protect, enhance and create habitat specifically for butterflies. Butterflies are important pollinators of native plants and represent as caterpillars a major food resource for birds. Habitats critical to butterflies are essential to nesting waterfowl, neotropical migratory birds, upland game birds, and more. The NABA Board of Directors and staff have selected projects across North America as a starting point of the Butterfly Habitat Network. If we can save butterflies, we can save ourselves. It's more than just a slogan. It's the understanding that adequate, well-cared-for space for the wildlife of this planet will ensure survival and quality of life for human beings,
2: find out how you can help by visiting naba.org. We do the mystery bird contest on Talking Birds every week, but maybe you're just listening for the first time and don't know how that goes. Well, we do. We think we know how it works. We give you clues uh, to the identity of the bird. We play the sound of the bird and um, invite you to call in and tell us what it is or take a guess at it. And we always have a winner. Because even if we get no correct answer, we award the prize via a drawing from calls received. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. That's 781-837-4900. The sound of the bird is like this. It's an irregular winter visitor from the far north, mostly reaching states and provinces along the U.S.-Canada border. Ranging a bit farther southward in the west. It's a brownish-gray bird with a crest on top of its head and a black mask and chin patch. It has small red spots on its secondary feather tips and the cinnamon color under its yellow-tipped tail and its grayish belly separated from a more common close relative. Our bird feeds on berries and fruits infamously, sometimes becoming intoxicated or worse from eating fermented berries. What do you think it is? Tell us definitively or take your guess at 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900 would be the number to call. 781-837-4900. Call us as soon as you can. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor down at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute.
1: Here at Talkin' Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talkin' Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation.
3: My name is Robin
1: Rogers from Astoria, Oregon.
3: I became a Talkin' Birds ambassador to spread the word about the show and to get the information to my birding friends and turn younger folks on to birding. I think everyone should become Talkin' Birds ambassadors. It shows great support for the show and for birds and our environment in general.
1: Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Ambassadors family. Just visit our website TalkinBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Join today and thanks.
2: Oh, just heard that expression for the birds, but we're about to hear about it in a kind of a different uh, context thanks to Mike O'Connor, the down at the uh, Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning there, Big Greg. This is another one of your annoying customers, right, asking another question that you uh, had to research to <laughs> find the answer for?
0: <laughs> I know, so much work. <laughs> you, you think I knew everything. Turns out I don't, so I to look stuff oh, really? up. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, there's, a, there's a movie out, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called the goldfinch. No. And uh, spoiler alert: it's not about birds, so don't b- bother.
2: Don't bother, yeah.
0: Don't bother. Okay. But um, it, one of the reviewers had called, didn't care for it. So, and, you know how funny the reviewers can be in the newspaper. And they called that this movie is for the birds. And so somebody uh, wanted to know why uh, uh, that's a bad thing because you and I and probably all uh, your listeners think something for the birds is a good is a good thing. Yeah. It turns out the. You know, there's a lot of explanations you find, but the most common explanation is in the old days when, uh, you know, the streets were, we didn't have cars, and the, the horses were in the streets pulling our carriages and getting us around. Remember. Be to, you remember that, yeah. right? When you were going to school. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Through the snow, eight feet
0: of it in the summer. Anyway. So the, there would be manure in the streets, and so house sparrows, they imported house sparrows because they, they, people thought they ate the manure. When, in fact, they were just getting the waste seeds that were in there. But people thought, oh, the sparrows will clean it up. So, you know, so there's a lot of twists and turns in there. But basically, anything that was wasted and unwanted, mm-hmm. they would put it outside, and it became for the birds. For the birds, yeah. One of those idioms that's out mm-hmm. there. So when something's for the birds, we think it's a good thing. But you know, other not, people think. Not, it's not everybody thinks. Not, it. So not everybody great, yeah. knows that exactly. No, yeah. yeah, but we do now, huh? We do, yes. Yeah, Thanks, we blew Steve. the we blew the cover right off that story. Right. And there's a lot of other idioms out there, but we'll do that another time because you got a contest to
2: get to. Oh, okay. Is that that's it for the idiom? You had so many of them. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for that. But, what, we'll, what did you want to do others? Well, do some more another time. Uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're naked as a jaybird right now, so you're probably getting a little chilly. That's so that's, it, I yeah, that's good. I got to couple months for sweater. <laughs> All right, that's another slogan that we sneaked in there. All right, Mike. Thank you. All right, we'll talk next week. Talk to you next week. He is so considerate that he, we're getting on to the mystery bird contest. Well, thank you, Mike. And we will get on to that contest. The September-October issue of Birdwatching Magazine is now available at Barnes & Noble and other
4: newsstands. It features a story about the uncertain future of the whooping crane, tips for photographing birds that fly fast, and a guide to fall and winter birding festivals. Plus, Ken Kaufman describes how to identify wandering tattler. David Sibley provides a closer look at crows and much more. Learn
2: more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Here's the bird that we're trying to identify. Kind of an unusual sounding bird. Doesn't really have a song as such. Does the sound that it makes. An irregular winter visitor from the North Country. Mostly reaching states and provinces along the U.S.-Canada border. Ranging a bit farther southward. In the West, a brownish-gray bird with a crest on top of its head. A black mask and chin patch. We'll skip the rest of the clues for the moment and get to some calls here. I think John from Hanover Massachusetts perhaps was uh, first there good morning John good morning good morning what do you say uh, John on the uh, mystery bird there I am
0: guessing because of the uh kind of not so clear of the uh of the chatter it has there yeah. but I was I was guessing at a, a, a Canadian Jay I've hiked up in the mountains before and I Hmm. Never really knew what exactly it was called, but I yeah. always we always called them Canadian Jay. Yeah, well,
2: that's one that I used to call the Grey Jay for a long time. And before that, the I think it was the Jay. Canada Jay. And now it's the Canada Jay again. However, it is not our mystery bird. Oh, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I did that big <laughs> lead up there. Uh, not a, not not the Canada Jay, but John, it's a top quality guess, and thank you. Well, thank you. All right. We're moving on to Charlie on beautiful Cape Cod. Good morning, Charlie. Hey Ray. Good morning. What show is this? What number? This is number uh, seven hundred and forty-seven. I've yeah. been
0: listening to you since like one ninety-nine. But anyhow, oh gosh, and you're still morning. okay,
2: yeah. I'm from Hanover too. From Hanover now I'm down to Cape Cod. And now Cape Cod. All right, Charlie. So my yeah. my guess is the American Yellow Warbler. The American Yellow Warbler is the guest there from Charlie and. I don't know where that music came from, Charlie. (laughs) Just spontaneous. Good try, Charlie. Try us again. It's a pleasure. I love you. Thank you. All right, thanks. Let's go to Tanya in Arlington, Virginia if we have time. Good morning, Tanya.
4: Hi, good morning. Good
2: morning. Good morning, Tanya. You heard our guesses there and you heard all the clues and all that. What do you say, the mystery bird? I think
3: it's a bohemian waxwing.
2: You say that with confidence and justifiably so. Bohemian (laughs) waxwing. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely Yay! right. Beautiful. Yay, It's right. Thank you so much. You're right. Stay on the line. We'll get your info and all that kind of stuff, okay?
3: Okay, thank you. Have a great day.
2: You too. Next week, Jim McCoy, our friend Jim, will be here to defend being a lister, a birding lister. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Later. Ray Brown's
4: Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. September means back to school and back to binoculars as we watch for the start of the fall migration. We hope you'll continue your schooling by coming for a free walk with us. Ocean State Bird Club is on Facebook and at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org.